Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 714th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has integrated the P word into her day. We're talking with Doreen Pollock about how permaculture changed her life. Doreen has been a master gardener for over 18 years and has turned her urban lot in downtown Phoenix into an example of what she teaches. Her front yard now houses an edible garden where a Bermuda grass lawn used to be. Rainwater harvesting systems channel and store rainwater. Compost piles supply needed amendments to harsh clay soil and creative plant locations maximize the use of our urban lot. A laundry to landscape system uses washing machine output to water a 35-year-old grapefruit tree. She has taught hundreds of people about gardening through Master Gardeners, Mesa Community College, City of Tempe, Rio Salado College, and has appeared on local news talking about gardening. She loves to help people become better gardeners and stewards of the land. Welcome to the show today, Doreen. Are you ready to rock? I am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I'd love to. You know, I moved here from the Midwest 25 years ago. And boy, yeah, what a shock. (laughs) But I didn't do much gardening there. My mother was a big gardener and I grew houseplants. I came to Arizona and bought a house and started to put plants in the backyard. And not a lot of them made it. I would just go into the big box store and pick up a plant because it looked pretty and put it somewhere in my yard and hope for the best. And it just really didn't work out. So I had a friend who had gone through a program and she explained it to me and called it the Master Gardener Program. And I'm like, wow, that sounds fascinating. And she told me how it really changed her look at how plants grew here in Arizona. So I had the opportunity to sign up for it. It's through university. So I thought, wow, it's got to be some great training. And it really was. I found a great community of people that I loved. And I finally figured out how to grow things in a desert. And that (laughs) started my journey. Yeah. Yeah. it's, It's really different. Having recently transitioned from the desert to the mountains, I'm 
coming to understand how different it really is. Yeah. So I was thankful for her sharing that process. And I took that course and then fell in love with gardening in a desert because once I learned the tricks, I knew what to do. And it has been a lesson of learning for the last 18 years. I don't think you ever stop learning. Right. Somewhere along the way, you stumbled across the P word, as I like to call it. Tell me about that. Oh, my gosh. I can remember that day, actually. That's how important it was to me. I was actually down at one of our public markets in Phoenix, and I remember walking out of the store and into the marketplace, and I saw a booth for Permaculture Guild, the Phoenix Permaculture Guild. And I was like, brand new as a master gardener. And I was very excited about teaching everybody everything I knew. You know, when I learn something, I get excited about it. I want to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. So I walked up to the person there and I said, how do I get involved? And how can I teach people how to garden? And she said, wow, that's great. And we started the conversation. And I believe she even connected me to you in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. And so I got involved with the Permaculture Guild just on the outside and was part of the community and chatting with them. But as the class, the course got promoted, I started to think that that would be my next step to really take what I learned as like, how do you, I learned about botany and I learned about growing things, but I really wanted to figure out how do you put it all together. Mm -hmm. And that's what the permaculture design course taught me was how to put it all together and how to be a great observer. Yeah, that is a big piece of it, isn't it? It's the one thing I'm I remember most. And whenever I talk to someone about their garden or their yard, I'm like, take time to just observe what happens. Where's the sun? Where's the shade? Where's the wind? Where's the water? Where are all the natural elements? Because once you know that, then you can plan. And what is permaculture in your definition? My definition of permaculture is that it is the integration and it is the cohesiveness of all things nature, all things me and nature, mm-hmm. all things, all plants. It's, it's everything. It's everything. And it is a system that regenerates itself like if you do it if you do permaculture right I don't know if there's a wrong way but if you do it the way it's designed or the way I was taught you can create regenerative systems so you don't have to always be adding things to it you don't have to always make it happen you don't have to always fix something nature will fix itself you learn how to amend that soil with the compost that you make and the worms will come (laughs) and the mycelium will come And everything will be there if you provide the right inputs. And they don't have to be something you buy at the store. It could come from your kitchen. Something I might throw away in the garbage gets to go into my soil. Right. That was one of the first things I did when I got here was I found a composting system because I hate to throw away food scraps. Me too. As a matter of fact, Craig, my next door neighbors have a key to my gate and they put their kitchen scraps in my compost pile. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. I, that uh, to me is part of permaculture, right? Our community. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I had the neighbors trained in Phoenix to every fall bring me their bags of leaves. I love it. And you, you mentioned a course that you a permaculture course that you did. We call it a permaculture design course. Can you tell me about your memory of what that was? 
Yes. I didn't know what to expect, of course, when I took it, but it was a deep dive into many different elements of permaculture. I still can remember in my mind, and I'm not going to get all the terms right because it's been a while. There's a wheel, if you will, almost reminds me of the circle of life, but it's this whole wheel that talks about all the components of permaculture. And so we Mm -hmm. took each one of them and we took a deeper dive into them, but we, it always showed the connection to each other. Like there was nothing was separate. And that was the thing I remember most about permaculture. There was nothing that was separate and could stick, could, it could stand on its own, but it didn't have to, and it shouldn't stand on its own. Mm -hmm. The thing I love the most when we were doing all of these, taking it, doing practical applications, when we were learning about observation, we got out and we walked around and we were coached on how to be a good observer. Mm-hmm. And when we learned about water flow, we went out and we played with the land and we used something called a bunyip. Helps you show exactly how the water would flow and how to measure the depth in the soil and how to put a berm there so you wouldn't have the water run off your property. So there was just so many things that we actually did hands-on. It wasn't like sitting in a lecture and listening. And that's what I loved most about the design course. It was hands-on and I could apply it right away and I could take it home that night and use it right away. Well, here we are almost 20 years later and you're still integrating it into your life. Oh, most definitely. As a matter of fact, I do some rearranging of plants from time to time in my property when I see that things aren't working out the way they should. I'll put them in another spot. Our biggest issue here in the desert is water. So Mm -hmm. I love to watch what happens when it rains. And I will actually put plants in areas where it gets natural rain versus trying to force nature, right? And that's why when I redid my front yard, I put in a retention basin for water that came off my roof. So that when we have an epic rain event, The water basin, I call it my rain garden, holds the water. And that's where my shade tree went. And I learned that in permaculture. Nice. You mentioned a word a little while ago called regenerative. And I first stumbled across that word in my permaculture design course back in 1991. It's different than other words you might have be thinking about, like sustainable. Can you talk about that? For me, regenerative was that notion that things can regenerate. So when we go to build soil and we're using compost to build that soil, we're basically putting food into the soil, in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. If I want to feed with the life in the soil, which are all the little roly polies and the worms and, and even the mycelium, those items need things to sustain themselves, right? So if I can take things that inputs, if you will, that come out of my yard or my garden or my house, my compost and put them back in there, I can regenerate that food, that growth in the soil. I also remember the part in the class where we talked about looking at how plants support each other. So when you have the taller trees and you have your upper story and you have the mid story and you have the lower story, like you, you allowed all those plants to have that symbiotic relationship. So they supported each other and they regenerate and they recreated life. I didn't have to go out and always buy things to recreate shade. If I looked at where a tree created shade, I could let that tree be the shade for the garden versus running out and buying shade cloth. And that to me was that regenerative notion that everything kind of supports and regrow and helps each other grow 
and use the same word, regenerate. Yeah. What are some practices that you continue to use on a day-to-day basis from permaculture? Well, composting. I love to compost. (laughs) As a matter of fact, there's hardly anything that goes into my trash anymore. So I can take, use one grocery bag, plastic grocery bag a week for trash. Because if it can't go into compost, it goes in the recycle. I compost even the dust from my vacuum. Got cats and dogs. So there's a lot of great pet fur that goes in there. I use the lint from my dryer to make fire starters for my outdoor fire pit. I use old candle wax and I use cardboard egg cartons. So nothing goes to waste in my house. It Mm -hmm. all goes somewhere. And that's my whole notion of composting, right? Same thing with rainwater. I have three rainwater barrels on my property. Again, Phoenix doesn't get a lot. We got some, they're all full right now because we just got some rain last week. I use that water to water all my house plants. Mm -hmm. I use it for outdoor plants until it's gone. And then when it's gone, I wait for it to rain again. So rainwater harvesting, my laundry landscape system, invaluable. That was really on purpose. You want me to talk more about that a little bit? Yeah. So talk more about what a laundry to landscape system is. I I live in an old home and my washing machine was never put on the sewer line. Yes, because the house is only 900 square feet. There wasn't room for a washing or dryer. And back in the 20s, when they built the house, they had washing machines like we do today, right? So anyway, it was it's out in a one-car garage shed, and it used to just flood the yard. And while I was in the permaculture design course, I ran across a person from Tucson, Brad yeah. Lancaster. Yeah, yep. he's been he's been on the podcast multiple times. And he talked about this system. So mine is actually a more sophisticated than just let the water drain. It actually goes into a series of landscaping materials. So it goes into one inch pipe and then out into some smaller quarter inch that are now installed throughout the landscape. So not only did I create a basin for water retention right by the citrus tree, Mm -hmm. so that gets flooded first, but also along the perimeter of my yard where I had drought tolerant plants, I had them install the both one inch and then quarter inch landscape pipe. When the washing machine drains, there's a little bit of a pump that pushes it into the system, floods the basin for the uh, grapefruit tree, and then the rest of the plants wow. get watered as well. So I don't never have to touch that water. And today you can buy all kinds of washing machine soaps that don't have chemicals. I happen to get one that's what called washing machine sheets. So I don't even have plastic containers to throw away anymore. Mine comes in a brown envelope to me once a month. Oh, wow. It's a sheet. Yes. Yeah. They figured out a way how to dehydrate, if you will, your uh-huh. the laundry detergent into a sheet that's probably four inches by five inches. And you throw one into your washing machine and run it. And it works beautifully. So again, I've reduced my waste, right? So I'm yeah. always looking for ways to reduce things I throw away. Yeah. I was just listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about recycling and what in plastic, what actually gets recycled. And it's something like 6% of all the plastic actually gets recycled. And so that keeps me in the thought process of how do I reduce the amount of plastic 
that I'm using, especially one use plastic, plastic bottles and that kind of stuff. So cool. I'm going to look that up. I recently started making my own yogurt. Probably lots of people do that, but I hadn't. And I was always buying, buying a plastic tub of yogurt. Yep. Eating it and throwing it, recycling it or using it somewhere in the house. But after a while, you can only hold on to so many plastic tubs. <laughs> right. Right. So I Googled it and figured out how to make my own yogurt in a crock pot. I just reuse that tub for my own yogurt now. What do you so, use for the base of the yogurt? I think I use half a cup of the original yogurt I had bought. It's like, like a sourdough starter. You always have the, uh-huh. you always hold back a little bit. So before I run out, I wait till I have at least a half a cup left. And then I make another batch, half a gallon of milk. Now, if I could only get the cow, because the milk does come in the plastic jug. So yeah. <laughs> if yeah. I could find a way, I, probably if I was smart and bought local, and now I'm thinking out loud with you, and buy glass from Dresden here, yeah. I would then be able to return the glass to the store. Okay, yeah. that's my next step. Well, plus there's our friend Tara out in Queen Creek who does goat milk. Yes, I could probably make goat milk yogurt. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons I like doing this podcast is it it plants seeds of things for me to figure out. And it's like we goat yogurt and it comes in plastic tubs and I have hundreds of these plastic tubs. What do you do with them all? Yeah. And so, wow, cool. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Well, during the pandemic, I got into crafting because what else were we going to do, right? Uh And I started looking up how to reuse household items. There are some really fantastic ideas out there. I don't think I embraced them all, but it got me thinking about there is no away when we go to throw things away. There is no away. Maybe it's away from my home, but it's not away from my earth. Mm -hmm. So if I can find ways to reuse them in some manner, I do. Yeah, exactly. What inspires you to share permaculture with others and how do you do that? I just never stop talking about it. I don't think people even know I'm talking about permaculture, which is fine. You know, I'll I'll just share my idea or a suggestion. I work a lot with individuals who don't know a lot about gardening. So I love to teach people. And as I mentioned earlier, I always start my conversation with someone who doesn't know what to do with their yard or where to put a plant. And I talked about one of the very basic elements of permaculture is observation. Mm -hmm. And that's really taking a moment, taking the time to be still and take and take a look at what's happening on your property or your yard or, or or in your house or what have you. So I just integrated into conversations with people. I love to share about composting when, so somebody, I was somewhere once and someone's going to throw something away. I said, Oh, don't throw it away. I'll take it home and compost it. And they look at me a little weird and, and that's okay. You know, I'm, yep. that, I'm that crunchy granola girl. I don't mind. Right. Um, so it really becomes part of my everyday conversation with people and just sharing notions about it. Well, and food waste is a huge volume, especially in Phoenix. Uh, our mutual friend, Miguel, used to run a company in Phoenix yes. called Vermisox. Yes. And he did some research. And in 2008, what they found was that there was 1,100 tons of food waste produced in the Phoenix metropolitan area every day. That's a staggering number. And so for me, that's the simplest thing to manage Mm -hmm. is food waste because I have some direct action that I can do with food waste. I don't have any direct action to do with plastic. 
Right. That's a really good point, Greg. Yes. When I started gardening and I saw the produce that came out of my yard and I'm like, that doesn't look like what I buy at the store. <laughs> that green pepper is deformed and smaller. What, what am I doing wrong? And mm-hmm. then I realized that I did, didn't do anything wrong. I wondered what they were doing wrong to get me those perfect peppers in the grocery store. Right. But it gave me an appreciation that thinking about waste, the imperfect produce that goes out because we all are looking for that beautiful glossy apple or that beautiful red pepper. And yet they're not all that way. And I think that's where a lot of the waste goes too, because things don't end up there. Yeah. Food waste is definitely someplace we can all start. If I can't eat something up, it goes into a stew or a soup. Right. One of the things that I do is when I'm prepping a soup, and you got the end pieces of carrots and celery and onions and that kind of stuff. Every time we're doing that, I put it in a jar in the freezer. And, and about once every month or six weeks, I make vegetable broth out of it. I have this recipe that I do for vegetable broth. And so I do the vegetable broth recipe. And then I take all that stuff out of the freezer that I'd been accumulating over six, eight weeks. And I put it in the pot as well. That's so- a great idea. Right. Scott Murray taught me that one. Hey, and do you use the yellow skins of the onion? Oh, absolutely. Because someone told me about that, that the yellow skins help to add the yellow color. Oh. So thinking about food dyes, I don't know if you've ever seen around Easter where uh, every once in a while I'll see something on social media and someone will say, here are all the different foods you can use to color your Easter eggs. Think about beets. Oh, yes, of course. Beautiful pink color, right? Yeah. And onion skins. And oh, there was all different kinds of things. So when we stop to think about what we have at our hands today, what our ancestors used, cochineal scale from a prickly pear cactus. Oh, yes. Red, they use that. The indigenous people use it for dyeing fabrics. That's the kind of thing that I got exposed to during my permaculture course. Were all these things that I didn't even know existed because people, because when you're in a community in a permaculture course, people just start sharing. And you're all like-minded. I know there are friends of mine who would never take that course because that's just not where their head is. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, that's not their thing. Maybe they do something else wonderful for the world or people. But when you're with the community of people, that are taking a course like that together and people start sharing all these ideas, just like in our conversation, all these things just start popping off. And then you can say, try it for yourself. And if you like it, great, use it. If you don't move on, but try something else. Right. Well, because there's so many, so many, I'm going to say this again, so, so many things that integrate permaculture into your lives. And you don't even have to garden in order to integrate permaculture in your life. You know, do you remember there was a quiz, like a multi-page booklet that we got in the permaculture design course years ago? Oh, yeah. And it, was, and it looked at everything, like everything in the world. I remember specifically, like if you took an airplane flight from Phoenix to Chicago, the kinds of things you had to do to offset your carbon footprint. That was an eye, that the entire quiz, not just yeah. that one thing was so eye-opening to me because it helped me to understand the input impact of all my actions. Yeah. Good and bad. And I don't even want to say bad because there are some things, let's say we need to do, but if we understood the impact and then we could do something else that would regenerate somewhere, something, then we have that offset, mm-hmm. right? 
So it, it really, I, I can't say enough about this is done the design course, because it just opened my mind to things I didn't know about and had me think about them. And I took on things that I wanted to do. And we talked about that, the the water here in the desert, because we know it's so valuable and composting. And and I love growing my own food. I know not everybody has to as part of permaculture, but I fell in love with that because I love running out to the garden and picking a few herbs for dinner or my Sunday morning eggs, you know, I can season them with my herbs from the garden. I go out in my jammies and get them. That's one of the big things I miss about my property in Phoenix is eating out of the yard every single day. I just so took it for granted until it was gone. We're doing a permaculture design course in Phoenix in February, March, and April of 2023. We do them every year in uh, February, March, and April. And if you're interested in taking a permaculture design course in the Phoenix metropolitan or, you know, desert Southwest, you can go to urbanfarm.org forward slash PDC. Why should somebody take a PDC? I think the PDC will expose them to things that they never considered before. I know it will. Yeah, I know it will. It did for me. I also believe that you get to meet people who are part of your tribe. I do know that there is a, I mean, Greg, you're one of them, but there are other people that are still part of my life. Maybe we're not talking all the time, but they're folks that I may see on social media. So I created a new community of people who are Mm like-minded, which I think today is important. And it's the human contact. It's um, because the PDC is in person, correct? Yes, it absolutely is in person. And I am a big fan of doing them in person, not online, because you don't get the huge community piece. Exactly. And as I mentioned earlier, there were so many things that we could touch and feel being in in person and Mm -hmm. implement that it's not a lecture. It's not like a college course where you sit and watch some talking heads in front of the room, even just lecture to you. There's exchange, there's information, there's conversation around things. So it's taking a deep dive into what's happening, I think, in the world of nature. And if you're at all concerned about climate change, uh, these are the concepts that help us to understand how we can be individual stewards to make a difference and hopefully inspire others to make a difference as well. So each one, teach one is kind of our motto, right? Yes. we all become that steward, whether it's with our friends and family or with our students in class. Yeah. Or the rest of the, and the rest of the world. Yes. So if you're not in the Phoenix metropolitan area or in the, the desert Southwest and want to do a permaculture design course in person, what I suggest you do is go to a search engine, type in the name of your city and permaculture design course, see what comes up. Most large cities Even small cities like Asheville has a couple of different permaculture design courses that you can take. So you can definitely do that. And we also have permaculturecity.com, which is Toby's online class. Toby wrote, Toby Hemingway wrote Gaia's Garden. And you can, uh, and we were lucky enough to get him to do a class with us called Permaculture City. So you can find out about that at permaculturecity.com. One more thing before we shift, I'm supposed to ask you about being a serial plant killer. (laughs) Yes, I was a serial plant killer. And that was probably the thing that inspired me to learn what 
not to do, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yes, I would take all these plants home and put them in my garden and or in my yard and they would die because too much sun, too too little sun, too much water, not enough water, et cetera. Yes. So I killed a lot of plants before I understood what to do. And that's inspired me to take the master gardener class. Yeah. And I tell people this, that I promise you, uh, maybe not you, but I promise you I've killed more plants than you have not on purpose, but that's how we learn. Yes, exactly. I say to other, something similar. I say to people, you're not really a gardener unless you kill a few, because again, <laughs> that's how you learn. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. I think the biggest failure in my garden and permaculture life was putting in a vegetable garden in the wrong location. Hmm. So before I understood all this about gardening in general or what have you, I thought, well, my vegetable garden should be in the back corner of my property so it's out of my sight because who wants to look at a vegetable garden? That can't be too pretty. I picked the southwest corner of my property Mm -hmm. and stuck it behind the house and never looked at it. I mean, I'd go back once a week maybe and I'd be like, oh no, that plant died or oh no, the watering system didn't work. (laughs) And killed all the plants. Yes. So what I learned was that garden needs to be somewhere where I could see it frequently. Mm -hmm. So that had me move it to the front yard. And that was the start of exchanging my Bermuda lawn for what I call yarden. Oh, nice. I like that. So that I can, it's right by my driveway. I pull into Mm -hmm. my driveway. I don't have a garage. So I pull into the driveway and walk into the house and I see my vegetable garden multiple times a day and I can encourage it. I can talk to my seedlings, but I can also see when things need to be watered. And so take, think, considering that I needed to put something out of sight, but out of sight does mean out of mind. And that was my biggest failure. Well, in permaculture, we talk about zones. Yes. Zone, zone zero is your house. Zone one is the place you you go in your yard every day. Zone yep. five is the wild place of your yard. And we talk about putting our gardens in zone one. They you, they need to be visited every day. Yes. I'm pretty sure that that's what inspired me to do that because mm-hmm. zone one was that spot I walked through every day from my car. What do you consider your biggest success? Growing apple trees, growing apples. I never considered that anything but citrus could grow here in the desert. Mm-hmm. And then many years ago, I stumbled upon this guy who sold fruit trees here in Arizona. His name is Greg Peterson. Do you know him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he had all these trees. And I'm like, wow, you could grow apples and peaches. And oh, and peaches, probably having my first peach off one of my trees I bought from you years ago, taught me again that the right plant and the right place with the right care, you can have these things that one would not consider. So taking a chance, taking, getting the education to do it the right way, and then just letting nature take its course. I do have to tell you that that poor peach tree got decapitated one year mm-hmm. during a monsoon. Um, and uh, I, I never did replace it, but it was a very sad day. We can fix that this year. I know, I know how to do that. One of the things that Doreen was referring to was my fruit tree education program that I started in Phoenix 23 years ago. And 
basically the bottom line is, is that we educate people throughout the year about fruit trees and they can buy fruit trees from us that are then picked up in January. So we've got a fruit tree pickup coming up in the next couple of weeks. Just saying. I've got a fig on order for sure. All right. Nice. What drives you? Climate change drives me. The notion that things aren't going the way they should be for our own climate, for our air quality, for the pollution of the lakes and rivers. And so that drives me to be the best steward I can. It's a big issue. I can't fix it, but I know I can control what I do. Mm-hmm. And that's what drives me to do anything and everything that I do, because I know that there is no way and my actions have a consequence mm. somewhere else. Yeah. And so I just try to be as conscious as I can in the moment. And I am not perfect. And I have grace with myself, but I'm not. But I consider, okay, next time, be a better steward. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Oh, this book, I love it. Animal, Vegetable, Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. Barbara Kingsolver is known for many different kinds of books, but this book is actually... Uh, her own story of her family moving from the desert Southwest to, I believe, North Carolina. Uh, so she moved it, to the South. I think it was Virginia, but well, that's okay. real close. I mean, that's a stone South, throw from where I'm at. To the Southeast, right? Yeah. And it talked about her family's journey in that. But the one thing that struck me is the first year they moved, it was her husband's family farm. The first year they moved there, they ate seasonally and they ate off the land. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how, I mean, they were very, they were zealots about that. So when it was strawberry season, that's all they ate. And they had to figure out how they could use strawberries in different ways, right? But she wanted to experience it and teach her children about living off the land. And that was another aha moment for me because I thought about how much we want things when we want them without thinking about the consequence of what it takes to grow them. So for me, there's many things I don't grow in the summertime anymore because for me, it takes up too much water to get what I need. And I'd prefer to buy it from someone who could do it better. So that might be getting a CSA from a local farmer here in Phoenix versus me trying to grow it. So it, it just gave me a lot of aha moments, animal, vegetable, miracle. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to try something new in your life, in your garden. Don't be afraid to plant something. I don't care if you put basil plant in a pot on your patio. Just do it and then watch and observe nature happen. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Doreen. You're welcome. You have a business that you run in Phoenix. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Sure. Thanks, Greg. I have a business called Down to Earth Gardens. You can find me on Facebook and it's down number two Earth Gardens. But I call myself the garden nanny. I used to be the garden goddess, but now I'm the garden nanny and I love helping people in their gardens. So I can Mm -hmm. work shoulder to shoulder with someone or I can transplant pots for people. I can even transplant houseplants. But I use that opportunity as I do to teach people as they go along. My gift to most of my clients is a moisture meter because I find most people over water. Yes. <laughs> and I yeah. And I got a wonderful moisture meter from the urban farm, actually. And I use it in my own home. Oh, cool. Thank you. Thank you. And do you have a how do people get a hold of you? 
Um, through my Facebook page is the best way to do that. Okay. Da- down to Earth Gardens. Perfect. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash down to earth garden. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.